Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I turn to Scripture and faith to help us address the issues and challenges that we face in our daily lives. This week, I'm going to talk about a negative emotion that seems to be dominating the news and our lives to an increasing extent, and that is anger. I'll talk about the origins of our anger, the harm it can do us, what the Bible has to say about it, and finally offer some simple solutions in dealing with our own anger. Now what prompted me to focus on anger is how it's expressing itself in our modern culture, in our country, and globally. We need look only as far as the vicious crowds that attacked our capital on January 6th, protests for racial justice that sometimes explode into violence, and most recently, the horrible violence between Arabs and Israelis in Israel. All of these scenarios show us that anger always has the potential to lead to disaster. Anger is an issue for us to deal with on a national and global scale, but it is an issue that we must constantly deal with in our lives as individuals. Anger can lead to spousal abuse and the breakup of marriages. Youthful anger can get our kids into trouble at school. Outbursts of anger can get you fired from your job. One of the most direct statements in the Bible about anger is found in James 1, where he's addressing the members of the early church community. And he says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. When we look at this passage closely, we see that James is dead serious about what he is saying. He begins, You must understand this. It's a strong statement. What I am about to tell you, James says, is not optional. He's laying down a prescription for Christian behavior. He says, We must learn to deal with our anger. He doesn't say we shouldn't get angry. I'll talk more about that in a minute. He says that we must not let our anger control us. And he says that we can do that by not flying off the handle and speaking before we think. Why? Because anger does not produce God's righteousness. It produces unrighteousness. This is not the way God wants us to live. With lives consumed with anger. I probably should say a few words about God's anger. Especially in the Old Testament, God is described often as a wrathful God who can lash out in moments of anger. One of the most famous examples is when God gets so angry with humanity that he decides he's had enough with his creation and he's going to wipe the whole thing out. Reminds me of the old Gershwin song, 
let's call the whole thing off. You like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Now, while this is a lighthearted song about a young couple working through some petty disagreements of life, it's underlaid with a serious message of how petty conflicts have the potential to destroy relationships. In the case of God and creation, God's anger leads him to potentially calling everything off. He says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. God was angry. Now, obviously, if God had followed through and acted on his anger, well, we wouldn't be here today. But God has a change of heart. He finds favor with Noah and reverses his decision, at least partly, and preserves representative plants, animals, and people to start all over again. Just like the young couple singing Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, who decide that they have too much to lose, and then they sing, We know we need each other, so we better call the calling off off. God calls the calling off off. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai retrieving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites are down at base camp building and worshiping a golden calf. This is long after the Noah story. God gets mad. After all, having no other gods before him is commandment number one. So God says to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are, Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. Once again, let's call the whole thing off. This time, Moses intercedes, saying, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. And listen to this. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. I've always found this to be one of the most fascinating lines in all the Bible. God changed his mind. Moses was able to talk God out of his anger and the destruction that he was going to bring about his chosen people. These two stories say less about the nature of God than they do about the nature of anger. First of all, anger is a natural human emotion, even a divine emotion, according to these stories. In these early stories from the Bible, the human writers often project human characteristics on God, anger included. But anger is a natural and undeniable emotion. But it can be dealt with. It can and must be diffused. 
Another way of putting it is anger must be processed. We have to deal with it. The first thing to acknowledge is that anger is real and that it is common. I have a somewhat mild and conciliatory personality myself, and for years I insisted that I never got angry. After some introspection, however, I came to realize that I got angry like everybody else, but I was just repressing it. I was denying it. Denying it. I directed my anger inward, which eventually contributed to depression and physical illness. I had to acknowledge my anger and stop giving it power. Doing that, I was able to address the problems my repressed anger caused. It's not healthy to repress anger. It's healthy to process it. Our anger can come from different sources. Now, one source of anger is from a physical reaction. Commercials for Snickers candy bars play off of one of the sources of anger, the crabbiness that we all feel when we get hungry, or most of us feel, I guess. The word hangry is used to describe this source of anger. The Snickers commercial depict people who have turned into the Hulk or divas or even aggressive Betty White or Joe Peskies who instantly revert to their mild-mannered selves after a bite of Snickers. My wife once call, called my attention to my tendency to be hangry when I get crabby. She says, do you need something to eat? And that's a cue. Usually I do. There is a physiological explanation for being hangry. When we need something to eat, our blood sugar levels can fluctuate. This, in turn, can lead to hormonal changes that can negatively affect our mood. And when we're in one of those hangry moods, watch out. And while the Snickers commercials show the obvious answer to anger induced by hunger is to have something to eat to bring your blood sugar level back to normal, but that isn't the whole answer. Sometimes while we are hangry, we can do or say things that carry on well after we've satisfied our hunger. Some people are even unable to admit to being out of sorts. I'm not angry. I'm not hungry. It's important to be able to identify, admit, and apologize for those we may have wounded simply because we were hangry. Other than being hangry, the more destructive forms of anger come as a result of a wrong or perceived wrong that we've suffered. The rioters on January 6 were angry because they felt that the presidential election was stolen. BLM protesters and other civil rights protesters are angry because they see generations of racial inequality and justice. Now, I make no equivalency between the two other than the fact that anger has to be processed. And if it's not, it will often erupt into violence and cause damage. Now, these two examples of anger that originate from social and political causes are one thing. Fortunately, in our society, we have processes for dealing with anger if we're willing to and have the patience to deal with it. 
First of all, we have a democratic process to which we can turn to address injustices or crimes that lie at the root of our anger. We have our over several centuries in America passed laws to protect the civil rights of all citizens, some more effective than others. We hold regular elections to elect officials who we entrust with enacting those laws and an executive branch and justice system designed to enforce them. A lack of trust and understandable impatience with this process has resulted in a built-up anger that has found release in violent acts. There was one incident when even Jesus allowed his anger to turn violent. When he saw the money changers in the Jerusalem temple defiling this holy space, he turned over their tables, spilling their money on the ground. Then he grabbed a whip and drove them out. This probably was one of the acts that led to his arrest and eventual execution for trying to incite an insurrection. This shows the power of anger and rage that even the greatest advocates of love and forgiveness could lose it. In the end, however, he submitted peacefully to his tormentors and even forgave them from the cross. For Jesus' love won out. Although it sometimes expresses itself publicly, our anger always comes from within. It's a habit of our hearts, a negative habit of our hearts. Anger comes from within, and we must deal with it from within. Otherwise, it will devour us. Anger has been described as ingesting poison and expecting it to kill someone else. The Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh compared handling our anger with dealing with an arsonist. He said, when somebody sets fire to your house, don't chase after the arsonist. Stay and put out the fire. And by the way, I highly recommend Thich Nhat Hanh's book titled Anger for more insights. But here are a few ways we can put out the fire. The first thing that we must do to process our anger is to acknowledge that it exists. We can't cure what we don't acknowledge. And I learned that from all those years that I didn't think I had any anger to deal with. It's good to express our anger verbally sometimes, at least when it will not inflame the situation. Now, my mother was a master of pithy phrases, and when she got angry, I remember her saying, I'm so mad I could just spit. Now, to my recollection, that usually pretty much ended her display of anger, and it seemed to help her calm down a bit. Take a moment tonight and say to yourself, Blank made me really angry today. See if it helps. Even if you're so angry, you could just spit. I should mention one thing that is not helpful in processing our anger, and that's venting. In the past, some psychologists and self-help people said that the best way to deal with anger is to vent it. When somebody hurts you in some way, let them have it. Let it out. Let them know how you feel. Otherwise, your anger will eat you up in the inside. Thich Nhat Hanh says that lashing out is not venting, but rehearsing our anger. 
making it stronger. Venting, as the word implies, gives air to the fire. Plus, anger is more contagious than the COVID virus. And this is how violence escalates. Some quiet introspection can be more helpful in dealing with anger than spewing it out into the environment. Look inside and trying to find the source of your anger. Are you just hangry? Are you really reacting to something in the past that you were angry about and for even have forgotten about? And if you discern the source of your anger is legitimate, a wrong, take a breath. Try to empathize with your offender, walk in their shoes, and then calmly try to resolve the issue. You may have to draw upon your power of forgiveness if no other resolution can be found. You know, probably some of the simplest yet most profound advice about anger can be found in Ephesians 4, where it says, So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Anger itself is an emotion. How we deal with it is a choice. There's a bottom well, bottomless well of anger to draw from. Anger is something with which we will all continue to struggle. But go easy on yourself. You will get angry, but your anger need not define you or have power over you. You are forgiven, and you possess the power to forgive. And so I end with one of the petitions from the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Peace.